You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. This is the long-awaited episode about my beauty experience in Turkey. And I say long-awaited, not really for you guys. I don't know if you guys have been waiting for this episode, but I have been thinking about this episode ever since my trip to Turkey and just agonizing about the right way to do it. And I just decided, take all of the pressure out just speak to some interesting people that you know that live in Turkey that can give you a perspective and then share your experience. So here I am giving you my experience. Turkey is a place that I have been going to every single year for the past seven years, except for one break during COVID. We didn't go last year, but every single time I go to Turkey, I am just blown away at what a special place it is and how distinctly different their culture is. Turkey has a very warm and inviting culture around food and hosting and definitely a robust culture around beauty. For those that don't know, my husband is Turkish and so our son is half Turkish. So Umut, my husband, his family all lives in Turkey. So before I dive into beauty, I want to share some fun facts about Turkey because I think if you are an American listening to this, you know we don't learn anything about the world. We learn about European history and we learn about American history. We barely even learn about European history, but I certainly didn't learn anything about Turkey in school. So fun facts about Turkey. And now the pressure is on because my husband has just sat next to me as I'm recording this, who is you know, a native Turkish person. Uma, do you want to say hello to the Naked Beauty audience? Hello, hello. This is Brooke Duart's husband. Yes. And well, say merhaba. Spit a little Turkish for the listeners. Herkese merhaba. Umarım bir gün Türkiye'ye gidersiniz ve bu podcast size yardımcı olur. How do you say Naked Beauty in Turkish? Çıplak güzellik. Çıplak güzellik. Yeah, but as in English... When you say çıplak güzellik, it might like, oh, it's like a naked beauty, you know. It's like sexy. Yeah. But how was my accent? That's acceptable, I think. Oh, gosh, guys, I'm trying to learn Turkish. I'm not actually trying that hard. I was trying. Yeah, that's, she's not I was so hard. I was trying, though, with that app. For another second and a half. But that's good because Mavi and I only speak in Turkish and it's going to be our secret language. Mavi and I will only be speaking in Turkish. So up to you. You don't want to learn? That will be our secret language. 
Well, I can't have my son and husband talking about me behind my back. So that is new motivation for me to learn. But let me just get into these fun facts about Turkey. So Turkey is a country that is both in Europe and in Asia. So Umut's family, so my family, lives on the Asian side. You take a bridge across the water and you're on the European side. The Asian side tends to be a little quieter and more residential, more of the action. Like if you're visiting Istanbul as a tourist, you're probably going to be on the European side. If I'm saying anything incorrect, please correct me. That's accurate. Yes. Okay, great. There are 81 provinces in Turkey. They use Turkish lira as their currency. And speaking of Turkish lira, the dollar is very strong right now, which if you're a tourist from America or even the UK, shopping is incredibly affordable. Obviously, the lira not being strong is not good for Turkish people living in Turkey. But as a visitor, as a tourist, you can eat at world-class restaurants with a beautiful view, a three-course meal, wine, cocktails, and like your entire meal will be like 50 US dollars. That same exact meal in New York would be like $300. If you find yourself in Istanbul, I would highly recommend getting a reservation at Mikla. Go to the rooftop, have a drink. You see all of Istanbul, then go downstairs. They have like a beautiful three-course tasting menu. There's a lot of really incredible fine dining and chefs doing interesting things in Turkey. But let's get back to the Turkish history, the foundational stuff. So the Turkish Republic was founded in 1923 after World War I. Turkey was also the core of the Ottoman Empire. So the Ottoman Empire was huge. Well, how long was like the reign of the Ottoman Empire? Just ballpark. 600, 700 years or so. Since 1200, they have been around. Wow. Okay. So... A long, long time. And you cannot talk about Turkey without talking about Mustafa Kemal Atatürk. He is considered the father of modern Turkey. Atatürk means father of Turkey. Is that correct? Correct. It's not his actual surname. It's surname given by Senate to him. It means father of Turks. Yes. And it's actually very interesting. You cannot name your child Atatürk in Turkey. It's actually like illegal to do so. That is like a protected name for him. Anywhere you walk in Turkey, you are bound to see a flag, a poster, something with Ataturk's face on it. It's in many cafes, it's in shops, and it's also just used as this symbol in a way to show that you have liberal slash modern values. I will say that the political climate in Turkey for Americans listening, it's similar to kind of what we experienced in the Trump years in that many people do not like the current president. There have also been a lot of restrictions on people speaking out against the government. And even me as an American recording this, like I don't even want to say anything about it. And mostly because I just want to keep the focus of this episode about beauty and Turkish culture. But it would not be fair if I did not mention the political climate in the country. There's also a lot of geographic diversity in Turkey. So there are parts of Turkey like Cappadocia, where everything is stone and caves. I'm sure you guys have seen those images on Pinterest or Instagram. People do those hot air balloons, which we did the hot air balloon thing in Cappadocia, and it was pretty cool. It was magic. It was pure magic. You feel like you're in a fairy tale land, sunrise with hot air balloons. I've been all around the world. I'm not saying just because I'm from Turkey, but it was one of the most magical experiences as a traveler that I had. There's also places like Bodrum, which I will admit before 
marrying my husband. I did not know Bodrum existed. That is in southern Turkey. It's on the Aegean Sea. There are huge yachts. There's a marina that has Dior and Chanel and every luxury brand you can imagine. But then there are also like small villages that focus on farming and focus on growing pistachios. So those 81 provinces in Turkey are all very, very different. And of course, you cannot talk about Turkey without talking about Istanbul. How many people live in Istanbul? 15, 16 million people. Yes, that is correct. 15.46 million people live in Istanbul. And within Istanbul, there are so many different neighborhoods. You have huge skyscrapers and gorgeous condos, but then you've got traditional buildings in the old town center and beautiful mosques that are centuries old. I mean, you could spend a month in Istanbul going around the city and still not see everything. Just to put things in perspective for you guys that are listening, Istanbul is 15.46 million people. So let's just round to 15.5 million people. New York City, where I grew up, is 8.4 million people. LA, 3.6 million people. Istanbul, 15.46. So Umu, you actually like grew up in like a big, big city, like bigger city than even what I experienced. Istanbul is a city of seven hills. In each of those hills, there are multiple neighborhoods, multiple Sahos, multiple Times Squares. It's gorgeous. And I think every corner of it is almost being to a different village or a different experience because the texture changes very drastically. If you're in the old town, you're seeing elements of Ottoman Empire, really historic sites. If you're in Nishantashe, you would feel you're like in any European city, maybe perhaps in Spain. If you're in Times Square, it's like, you know, Taksim Square. Square, apologies. You feel like thousands of people that you don't know where they are coming from. Every corner is a different experience to really enjoy. And I love that we have been able to explore like sort of the cool hipper neighborhoods like Katakoi is one of them, right? Kariko, I wouldn't say the most hippest neighborhood, but one of the most beautiful things being married with Brooke is I started exploring Istanbul from the eyes of a tourist, the eyes of a foreigner, because I want to show places that I have been all my life. And we are rediscovering neighborhoods that most tourists wouldn't go. Like Kadikari is one of them. It's a gorgeous old neighborhood. So many amazing restaurants. Not really touristy. You go there, they're not tourists. But it's very interesting to see like antique shops and everything. Istanbul is an incredible city and there is so much to be discovered there. In Istanbul being a very, very diverse city with so many people, there are so many ways that women choose to self-present there, which is what has always really interested me about Turkish beauty culture. It's a majority Muslim country. A lot of people are non-religious. So like Umut, you and your family don't practice religion actively, but it's a majority Muslim country. So you will see women that are covered or they wear a veil. And then you see women in miniskirts. In Bodrum, you'll see women in the latest Fendi bikini with the bucket hat on and like their vape pen. Like you could, you might as well be in Los Angeles at the pool at Soho House. 
But there are areas where it is better to be more conservative. So if I'm going to visit mosques in like the older town center, I will wear pants and I'll put something on my arms. I think out of respect to the culture and recognizing that I'm a tourist, I've always tried to dress more conservatively if we're going to those parts. But I would say there's a real mix. Yeah, Istanbul is truly a melting pot uh, for many cultures for hundreds of years. I think that's what makes Istanbul so interesting. Can I just also say like Turkish women like look good. They do. Yeah. A lot of makeup sometimes. Sometimes a lot of makeup, but it's like the hair is done. The nails are done. You don't see the way people walk around with like their hair piled on top of their head and like in sweatpants. Absolutely. It's also like hair care is much cheaper in Turkey. Yes. So you would see a lot of women, they're going to the hairdresser twice or three times a week after they shower just to have like a, uh, what do you call it? Blowout. Blowout. Yeah. Yeah. And we get into that in my interviews with some women living in Turkey for this episode. But I'm just like, wow, Turkish women are like put together in a way that I find to be very inspiring. And you're right about the makeup. The makeup is like on point. Like some of the winged liner looks I've seen are like incredible. But also it's one of those very interesting observations. Sometimes you see women in a whale, you know, all covered up, but you see their face, like so much makeup going on. And it's just like, it's also like, I think it's a form of self-expression if the avenues are close to them to express with clothing, with fashion, they are only need to be closed. But you see like, whoa, like, you know, I've never seen that kind of color on someone's face. You will see a lot of women that are veiled with incredible makeup looks. And I think one of my regrets for this episode is that I was not able to interview a woman who chooses to be veiled, who chooses to be covered living in Turkey. I think that is a very big part of the Turkish beauty experience. So I will do better on that in future episodes as I talk to people, because I think this is a very interesting topic. But yeah, I've seen some incredible, incredible makeup looks. I also wanted to interview an Afro-Turk for this episode. You guys will hear more about that in my conversation with Courtney. So there's a lot I wanted to do, which also adds to the delay when you overthink, 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 and you're like, I need this perspective and I need that perspective. And I was like, Brooke, get it together and get this episode out the door. Umu, you are here as my witness. How much do I agonize over this podcast? Yeah, I'm telling Brooke that this is a 10-episode mini-series, actually, if you want to really cover Turkey. But she's trying to do it all in one episode. So I suspect there should be more episodes about Turkey coming maybe once a year. I love that idea. Foods you should try should you find yourself in Turkey. Kebab. I love Adana kebab. I am a meat eater. I love meat. And I think kebab is amazing. They serve it with pita, with roasted tomatoes, with yogurt sauce, with like a chopped tomato and cucumber salad. Monte, which is like Turkish ravioli. It's like these little dumplings with minced meat and they do like a yogurt sauce over it. Baklava, which is an incredible pastry, which I mistakenly attributed to Greece. And you will learn if you know Turkish people that there is a lot of beef over what is Greek and what is Turkish. Turkish people will tell you it is always Turkish first. I am not going to get into that here. I have to interject here. First of all, she seems to have forget one of the best food out there. It's Iskender. You guys might have seen different variations, but anything that looks rotating meat on a skewer, like gyro and everything, it's originated actually from Istanbul. And it's very delicious. I would strongly recommend you to try that. 
But I always like to tease my Greek friends that, oh, Greece used to be part of Ottoman Empire for over 400 years. Perhaps you guys forgot whose cuisine is that. Oh, gosh. Just joking. Okay. Well, you know what? I think Greece has really good PR. Like they branded Greek yogurt, like they got on top of it. I think they're great marketers. I like Greek food. That's closest I can get, you know, my uh, local food in, you know, New York. I actually love Greek restaurants a lot because I feel like home. Yes. Turkish delight. I like Turkish delight. I love like a pistachio, a rose flavored Turkish delight. Let's talk about the Grand Bazaar. There are 4,000 shops in the Grand Bazaar. It is your least favorite place to go because I beg you, we need a day in the Grand Bazaar. Grand Bazaar is a very special place. It's the first ever shopping mall in the planet. You know, it has many reincarnations. Anyone visiting Turkey needs to go visit Grand Bazaar. I love to hear you talk about Grand Bazaar so positively versus complaining that I'm spending too much time there. Well, in one week, going three times to Grand Bazaar, I would not recommend to my enemy, if I have to be honest. But hey, I can see the appeal. You're a very patient partner. Every single time I go to the Grand Bazaar, I buy natural soaps. I buy rose water. I get Turkish towels. I get Turkish robes, natural oils. I got a beautiful carrot seed oil last time I went, a black cumin seed oil, caftans. I love vintage caftans, jewelry. You have to have energy to go there. You have to have energy to negotiate, to go back and forth with people, to just walk around all 4,000 shops. It's a big to-do. But if you love shopping, it's like a shopper's paradise. I want to touch on one thing when it comes to safety. I have always felt safe inside of Turkey. Turkey continues to be one of my favorite places to go. And we were in Turkey during one of the terrorist attacks, New Year's Eve. What year was that? Uh, I think it was 2017. Yeah, which was so scary and so sad that that happened. But I do like to tell people that I feel safe when I go there, even though we were in Istanbul, while the terrorist attack happened, we weren't affected by it. We weren't impacted by it in terms of we were not in physical danger. But I do just like to share with people that I feel safe going to Turkey because I think a lot of people worry about terrorist attacks or violence. And in the past two, three years, nothing has really happened. I think terrorism and unfortunate reality of our times. My brother lives in London. Every other time I hear a terrorist attack in London, I feel nervous. I have a lot of people, good friends of mine in France, there are terrorist attacks there. Unfortunately, these type of unfortunate situations happens everywhere in the world. And, you know, we live in U.S. The fact that we might end up in a shootout is more likely in U.S. than uh, you end up in a terrorist attack in Turkey. I know that's the truth. Unfortunately, our gun control laws are out of control. Not only have I always felt safe, I also want to touch on my experience as a Black woman. People always ask me, what is it like being Black in Turkey? Sometimes as a Black person traveling abroad, you can have horrible experiences. And I have always felt welcomed. I have always felt comfortable. I've also been featured in Turkish Vogue. I had a four-page spread earlier this year. I kept waiting to get recognized on the streets. Like, does Vogue have lower circulation in Turkey? What's the deal? Vogue have high circulation anywhere in the world? Oof. Oof. 
Burn, burn. Sorry to anyone listening from Condé Nast. So the core of this episode is all about Turkish beauty culture. What is it like caring for yourself as a woman in Turkey? I also had an amazing hammam experience, which I'll explain everything about the Turkish bath at the end of this episode because I want to get into these incredible interviews. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. You know, I love and appreciate all of your support. Hit me up on the Instagram account, Naked Beauty Planet. Hey, maybe this episode will inspire a trip to Turkey. I certainly love going there. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Umut, for being a little surprise guest on my intro. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, let's get into my conversation with Leslie and Vipurini. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to Naked Beauty. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> How do I pronounce your last name? Caraville? Yeah, Caraville. Caraville. Leslie Caraville. Well, we met in beautiful Bodrum. Are you in Bodrum now? Yes, I'm still in Bodrum. Yes. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> You had such a great energy when we met. You were just very infectious. You were working with Alter at the time, but you're also a comedian and actress and you just do a ton of really awesome things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I've been going to Turkey for many years now. And every time I'm there, I love to buy beauty products, whether that's soaps. You actually sold me an amazing body oil. It was like an olive oil base, all these herbs. And you're like, you're going to love it. It's I'm like using it. It's so precious. I'm like... I don't want to run out of it, but I love beauty culture in Turkey. Growing up in Turkey, was skincare really big? Is that like a big emphasis as you're growing up? First of all, I think the being in the hairdresser is like a big concept in Turkey. You know, like go there, I think much, much regularly than US. Hairdressers are spaces not only for your hair, but also for beauty. So you can do skincare, you can do massage. There's certain ones, even they have uh, hammams. You know, there is even some certain hairdressers that has a hammam section. So not many, but there are some. So for many women, it's like a very regular thing, very weekly thing to do these things. So and also you know, eyebrows are really very important. Turkish people really are big fan of eyebrow shaping and stuff. And also, I think it's less costly than uh, U.S. to go and do this regularly. So for many of us, it's such a common thing. You know, our hairdressers are a little bit our best friends a little bit. 
So we talk a lot, we chit chat, we go very regularly, even though we don't need a haircut or we don't need a manicure, we again go to do a bit of a check. So it is a part of our life a lot. So I love that you said that. I went to a hair salon. I was just going with my husband, Umut. He was getting a haircut. Suddenly I got my nails done. Like I got a manicure, a pedicure. Someone literally pulled me into his chair and like he did a full face of makeup on me. It was incredible. And I was like, this is all. And then they serve you tea and coffee. And that just doesn't happen in New York. Like no one's serving you like fresh tea. That's a shame though, you know? It is. There's Turkish hospitality. Yeah, in general, I think um, this kind of little details exists a lot in Turkey. So it uh, relaxes you in your weekly life. These little details in uh, Istanbul is a very big city. It's like New York, very hectic. There's a lot of traffic and stuff. So for us, it's a good exit, you know? Yeah. A weekly exit that we go, we really go for an, for an hour or so just to have our tea. We have a coffee. We fix our manicure. Even though you don't need a manicure, you just have your nail polish renewed again and stuff. So little silly things, you know, the, how do you say the mustache, you know, they do treading, you know, so these are like, you know, we love these things. So Yes, I love that. I have noticed that a lot of Turkish women have naturally curly hair, but they straighten it like they are getting it blown out. Do you see more Turkish women over the years embracing curly hair or do you think straight hair is still the most popular? I think still straightening hair is like a very, very common thing. And you are right that there are many people who has curly hair who likes to straighten. But even though, for example, I don't have a curly hair and maybe I don't even need to go that much to the hair salon to straighten it. But as I told you, it's just like a a little bit, you want to look fresh and it's easy to look fresh. Turkey. Yes. It's easy. There's a lot of hairdressers. There's a lot of price range that uh, they will fix in in a very little money. They will make you feel great. So yeah, I think that um, it is a very common thing to go and blow dry your hair. In US, I remember I lived there 10 years and when they do a haircut, for example, blow drying is an extra thing, yeah. you know, and it was like, what the hell? You know, I was like <laughs> really shocked when they told me like, and they, I remember like the guy giving me a blow dryer and you can do it yourself. And I was like, what? That's not a treat. You know, that's not nice. I don't feel relaxed now. You know, Turkey, we go just to freshen up, you know, straightening your hair a little bit. Maybe they do it in a bit of a curly, but in a fixed, uh, nicely curled, you know? Yes. So I don't know. I think uh, people uh, likes to blow dry their hair a lot in Turkey. It's a regular thing we do, especially in winter. I like that. So you lived in New York City. You were living in Soho, working a very fast-paced job in the advertising industry. Mm -hmm. What differences do you see in the way New Yorkers approach wellness and self-care versus people in Turkey? New York is a very stressful city, especially in my age right now. When I was 25, it was interesting for me. But after a certain time, it starts getting more and more stressful. In New York, I think that... uh, People have very little time. They don't enjoy their time fully. So everything is very scheduled. And uh, uh, even to meet with a friend, you have to schedule it ahead, you know? So these kind of things are weird for our culture. And after a certain time, after me living 10 years in US and five years in New York and five in San Francisco, I felt like time is very important. It's true. But meanwhile, how you are spending that time is very valuable. And uh, if I go even uh, to take care of myself, I want uh, a very soft and very gentle treatment, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, unfortunately, from my perspective, maybe I might be wrong, but uh, New York, especially in that sense as beauty sharing, if you are not paying maybe a very high level, the treatment is a bit fast. It's a bit like a bit more stressful, even though you're doing something beautiful for yourself, it's a bit stressful. So I don't know. I'm Pisces. I'm maybe a bit uh, like sensitive uh, person to life and to little things, but I think little things makes life uh, beautiful. And especially beauty for women is so important. And so it has to be so gentle to make you feel really feminine. Otherwise, it's a, it's a very masculine energy uh, thing that's been done to you still. You know, if it's very fast, if it's aggressive, it's there. Uh, they are not gentle with the way they do. So that's how I feel a little bit. New York is a little bit still harsh on that for womanizing. You know, it can be soft, uh, more softer, I feel, you know. That makes sense. I can see where you're coming from. What about Turkish hammam? How often do you do Turkish baths? Is it something like my husband, for instance, he never did it when he lived in Turkey ever. It became popular uh, last, um, let's say, 10 years. It became popular because... Uh, before hammam was uh, for our grandfathers or their generation, you know, they used to go because there wasn't enough water or the kids all bath all in the same time. One time they go once a week to hammam and all the kids get washed and stuff. There wasn't enough water. There wasn't enough facilities and stuff. But in our generation, hammam went out of fashion a little bit. It was only for tourists. And also it wasn't very well uh, fixed, you know, like it wasn't very well uh, renovated and stuff. But last 10 years, some people invested in this. So they started to renovate the hammams. It started to look prettier. So it became a little bit more common thing for local people also. But still, I go maybe once or twice a year. But as I told you, for example, in my neighborhood, which is not a very common thing, but in my neighborhood, there is a hairdresser that has a very small hammam built inside the hairdresser. So I go there personally. They do the scrubbing and stuff uh, one-to-one. It, it is in all marble again, and it's super beautiful. And uh, I like that privacy also. It's not as authentic, of course, of an old hammam, but uh, that privacy, as I told you, I enjoy, I think. So I go more often than when I was younger, that's for sure. It became more popular lately. I see. It's kind of a trend and tourists come and they do it. And so now they're... Before it was very, very touristic thing. Also, the people who worked there was a little bit like, uh, I don't know. It wasn't like our thing as much. It was for a tourist, it was interesting. But for us, it wasn't as interesting. You know how it is. Like sometimes local people don't enjoy certain things uh, that they have in their country than the tourists enjoy more, you know. So we learned to enjoy like them now. So it became better. And Leslie, you are a comedian, stand-up comedian and actress. What's it like being a woman in entertainment in Turkey? Many people ask me this question, you know, because it's not a very common thing. It's not like U.S. that there's many women comedians. Uh, stand-up comedy has been going on a very long time in U.S. In Turkey, there was a couple of very famous stand-up comedian, male stand-up comedian. But last uh, four years, five years, there's like a new movement going on in Turkey. And I started four years ago and it's very new. Maybe there's four or five women comedians that you can find, which I became really quite popular before pandemic period. Many people say, is it difficult to be a woman and to do this, blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, if I concentrate on that too much, then it will start becoming hard. So I try not to focus too much on that because it has its difficulties for sure. This country 
is more critical. They criticize too much, you know, so it's difficult to do something new, to start something new. But I watched a lot uh, Miss Marveling. What was it? Miss uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's. Yes, I watched her so much because I'm Jewish also. It's interesting for me to go through very similar experience in this uh, period of time. She went to those issues in that period of time in U.S. In the 1950s. While I'm going through very similar issues now. So it helped me really. Uh, so I'm continuing. I like it. And as long as I like it and I enjoy it, I'm going to continue. So wow. I try not to hear too much the negative part about this. It will make life harder. Yes. And a lot of comedians that are women say that they have to dress down when they're on stage. Like they don't want to look too beautiful or too sexy when they're on stage because they feel it takes away from people finding them funny. Do you find that to be true? To tell you the truth, when I start, uh, I was exactly feeling like this. And uh, even I was like, I was dressing up very, very casual, you know, black jeans and a hoodie and stuff like that. I started like that in the beginning. But then little by little, I started getting annoyed of myself of being like that. I was like, why am I like a boy on stage? You know, I'm not the boy and I don't want to look like a boy. I think the more I was embracing in my own life, my femininity, I started becoming more feminine on stage just because stage is like your life a little bit, you know, uh, you are on stage, you represent how you are standing on your life. I'm going to do my third show now. I'm, I wrote two shows before and I'm, I'm writing now my third show. And really, honestly, this is one of the uh, topics that I'm thinking because I want to be even more feminine and more relaxed about this because trying too much also is not a necessity, but just it's an internal thing. The more feminine and the more integrated you feel about this, I don't know if it makes sense, uh, the more it shows on stage. You don't have to push too much. You know, it just, you don't have to dress turbo sexy if you feel very feminine. You are very feminine and you don't need to do too much. I felt like I'm going through stages. In the beginning, I was very tomboy-like, you know, mm -hmm. and then I became turbo feminine, you know, trying to be very feminine. And now I'm in a more softer stage, you know, I'm like, okay, let's relax. You know, we don't need to show anything to anybody. We're just having some fun, you know? Yes. And you mentioned being Jewish, which is not common in Turkey. I know a lot of people are very secular, right? I know that the president is a very polarizing figure and he has made the country, this is Erdogan, more religious over time, more Islamic, more Muslim. And a lot of people are secular and actually like actively not dislike religion, but feel a certain way about religion because it's been pushed on them. One, I would love to hear a little bit more about you being Jewish because I haven't, I actually haven't met Turkish people that are Jewish in New York, obviously 99% of the people I know are Jewish, but I haven't heard of it in Turkey. And then two, just like how you feel about religion living uh, in the country now. I mean, to tell you the truth, even though I live in a Muslim country, I'm in a stage in my own life that I don't believe in religion anymore. You know, okay. I am in a stage that I don't care if someone is Muslim. I don't care if someone is Jewish because I think religion for me is out of date. You know, we are not in that state anymore. I think in the whole world, I think, you know, I mean, yes, I do live in a country where it's Muslim and 
yes, there are difficulties about that maybe, but I try to see life in a different level now. I don't care if I'm Jewish. I don't care if someone is Muslim. If someone wants to be covered, I don't care. If someone wants to open up, I don't care. To tell the truth, I try to bring my state of mind in a very different level now. As I told you, I think this time of life, we are passing through a certain time that I think religion is not an issue anymore, I think. Even though in my country it is, for me personally, inside me, how I'm looking to life has no value for this. So yes, I'm Jewish. I'm a minority here. There is very few Jews left in this country. But uh, does that make me sad? Uh, Not really. I mean, this is the way life is going here. And some people immigrated, some people stayed here. As I told you, I lived like 18 years abroad, but I love my country. I love to live here. I love the tradition and everything. The only reason that I miss religion a little bit uh, from my side is just uh, the tradition that you have with your family and stuff. Other than that, honestly, religion, I don't think ever brought anything good uh, to our life. Uh, You know, it only separates us. So I feel, as I told you, out of date for religion for me. It's a period that we have to learn to love each other more. Thank you for sharing that. To wrap things up on just skincare and beauty treatments, I feel like when I go to Turkey, I learn about new ingredients that I incorporate into my skincare. One of them is rose water. Like I discovered the brand Gulsha. Love rose water. I've discovered donkey milk and goat's milk. What are some of the natural ingredients that you feel like a lot of Turkish people have in their skincare routine that you want my listeners to know about also? I don't know how you say it in English. You know, how, do you know the word kuna? Kuna, no. It's a, I think henna, like the, you dye your hair with that. It's a natural. Oh, henna. Yeah, we have it also in Turkey. That's very, very, very common. And in Turkey, many women dye their hair with that also. And uh, also they do treatments for their body with that and stuff. But I am very big fan, just like you, Rosewater is, I'm big fan. And the brand that you said, they sent me once a free gift, uh, you know? Nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good part about like getting a bit famous, you know, they send you nice stuff to use. So yes, they send me and I love their products. I love the woman also who created that brand. And uh, I have a couple of friends after this podcast. I cannot remember the perfect names of it, but I want to share because I would be happy that you share their names. These are some friends of mine who create some beauty lines, organic beauty lines that they create amazing stuff. They are great, beautiful women also who create beautiful products. Besides that, I also use uh, a lot of lavender oil. You know, I'm a big fan of lavender oil and uh, they have a very big production uh, in Turkey also for lavender oil. So I use it constantly for uh, body, for before bedtime spraying, you know. But other than that, to tell you the truth, I am not a person who uses a lot of products. I use few, but good ones. Yeah. I was shocked when you told me how old you were. I was shocked because you look amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't believe in many beauty products. You know, many years, this popular beauty products that they told us many years on the magazines and stuff. I really don't believe in them. I never believed in them because I always made joke that, you know, if those products really worked, the people who were on the publicity wouldn't ever change. It would be the same woman, you know, <laughs> if it really helped, you know. Right. I remember Isabel Rossellini was, uh, you know, uh, one of the... Spokesmodels. Yes, spokesmodel. And she, they didn't use her for a while, after a while, and I was very pissed about it. So I always make that joke. So I don't believe any beauty products, like popular beauty products, you know. So I use uh, some organic 
limes, and very few, very, very few. But like I say, rose water, lavender oil. I also like to use orange oil, you know? Ah, nice. And because the feeling of it gives a, a lot of happiness, you know, a lot of energy and happiness. So daily, I always have it in my bag, a little bit of orange oil, you know? Other than that, of course, all world is using coconut oil is our heavenly product. The last, uh, you know, five, six years, it became the most popular thing in the kitchen and in the bathroom and everywhere. So yeah, I cannot tell you many other products. I'm not a big, big user of uh, many creams and stuff. Sometimes it's best to just keep it simple. Yes, I think so too. I think so too. The better you eat, the better you rest, the better you exercise. Exactly. And the happy you are, you are already beautiful, you know? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Final question for you, Leslie, and thank you so much for your time again. Um, It's when do you feel most beautiful? I feel the most beautiful when I slow myself. (laughs) Femininity needs slowing down. I have to slow down and sense things and be sensitive and uh, feel my environment and my body. And then I open up more beautiful because I'm more aware. When you slow down, you open to a new space. It gives more femininity, softness. The more feminine energy you enter in, the way you move, the way you talk, the way you communicate changes and you feel more beautiful because you are more your own self. You know, you are more with your, your essence. And when we become too aggressive and when we become too angry or anxious about work, life, husband, boyfriend, whatever, I think I lose my beauty. Even your face changes. You know it, you know. Don't you feel like that when you have a massage, you get out of the massage? I sit like five minutes and I say to myself, I guess this is the state that I have to be always, but I am not in that state always. So there is something wrong on the state that we go sometimes. So I think when I slow down and feel things more, I become prettier, I think. Wow. I love that answer so much. That's like one of the best answers I've heard (laughs) in, in doing this podcast. So thank you so much for that, Leslie. Welcome to Naked Beauty. I am joined by Courtney Lee Bell Kachuk. Kachuk is her new Turkish last name. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married for about two years, since September 2019. So exactly two years. Courtney, you live my dream. You are a Black American woman living in Turkey full-time, living in Istanbul. You work in education and you have been living in Istanbul for how long now? Nine years. It was just my nine-year anniversary, actually. Oh my gosh. And where were you living before you decided, I'm going to go live in Turkey? And what made you decide, I'm going to go live in Turkey? Ooh, I was living in Seattle, actually. And I don't know. I just kind of felt this weird calling. I had some Turkish friends in university and they would always tell me about how beautiful their country was. And I was kind of looking for a place either to study a language or teach a language. And Turkey kept popping up. So I decided to come here randomly. It was supposed to be for only six months and it turned into nine years. So, (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. So you met your husband over there. Yeah, I met him here. Everyone kind of assumes that we like met when I was there and I came here for him. 
you know, adamant about saying, no, I was here before. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. And of course, I think as they should, a lot of Black people and Black women always think about what is my experience going to be like abroad as a person of color? What is the Black experience in a place like Turkey? And what I found to be so incredible, you arranged a meetup of all of these amazing Black women, not from Turkey, that live in Turkey full-time. Some of them who have been living in Turkey for like 20 years, which is kind of like a network that you kind of put together on your own. And I just joined you guys for one dinner, which is so fun. Thank you for having me. But what made you feel like, okay, I've been living in Turkey for X amount of time. I want to kind of create a community amongst Black women. And how did you get that started? There is actually a huge community for just expat women here. or It's called Foreign Women of Istanbul. And I just kept noticing kind of a pattern of, you know, if a Black woman would try to share her experience. Like, by the way, I'm an admin for that group. I totally, you know, support it. But I just kind of see, you know, a pattern of Black women or women of color asking certain questions or sharing their experiences. And it just seemed like no one quite understood. Or if a Black woman would say, oh, you know, this happened to me in this store. I felt like it was a little bit of a racial thing. People would kind of dismiss them. So in 2018, I just said, you know, I think we need our own space. So I started a group, Women of Color Istanbul just a Facebook group. And it started out just on Facebook and we kind of moved to more to WhatsApp. So now it's kind of like a daily communication group for us. We're all really connected to speak every day. It's growing. And just Saturday, we had our like first real official meetup because we started right before the pandemic. And it was great. We found an African restaurant owned by a Black woman here. Wow. And we have drummers and a dancer teaching us some dance moves. I was horrible, but I was trying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just felt like we needed our own space. And it saved me a few times, you know, during last year with all the, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff going on, blah, blah, blah. And even for my husband, he's so happy that I have this, you know, community in Istanbul because he knows he can't be everything for me here. You know, he knows I need my sister girl time. Yes. And it's so funny because one of the things that we always talk about is the perception of Turkey versus the reality of Turkey, because Turkey is a very high-end glamorous, especially if you go to Bodrum, you feel like you're basically in Cannes. It's like Louis Vuitton and like every luxury watch company and like yachts everywhere. And you said that made me laugh so hard. You're like, people think of Turkey and they think of camels in the desert. Like (laughs) they don't know that it's like this really luxurious place. And I do feel like that sometimes, you know, I've been going for so long. I feel like I'm like, you know, an unofficial ambassador, but... Yes, you are. Oh, thank you. The perception of Turkey abroad is just really incorrect, I feel. Oh, yeah. I mean, even my family, they were hesitant to come here. And when they finally came, they had the greatest time. My husband was their tour guide. I was chilling, you know. We took them shopping and they're like, wow. Like, I think they kind of packed for that experience of it being like camels and (laughs) things like that. And when they got here, they're like, oh my gosh, Turkish people are so like put together, you know, walking on the Shantashe or, you know, going to places like Bodrum, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Turkish women, I look at them sometimes because, you know, back home, I'll go to the store, not in pajamas, but like in loungewear, kind of more casual. But here I rarely, especially in my neighborhood, I rarely see people just kind of looking 
a hot mess going somewhere. They're always really put together and very glamorous. Oh, totally. Obviously, in a WhatsApp chat with all Black women that live in Istanbul, I'm sure a big topic is like, how do you get your hair done? I know you do your own braids, but like, what has been your experience with salons, whether it's getting your nails done, going to get a facial? What's been your like beauty service industry experience in Turkey? To be honest, I haven't had much experience with my hair, obviously, though there is a man around that he, his shop is around the corner from me and he specializes in cutting like curly hair. I am really wanting to just go to him for like maybe a deep condition and a trim because I've been following him for a year, kind of like stalking to see, you know. Yeah. Does he know what he's doing? (laughs) Yeah. And there's an Afro-Turkish influencer who kind of encouraged me to check him out because she has, I mean, hair just like me. So I'd like to check him out, but I usually get my nails done pretty much anywhere. I just like a simple manicure. I was really into, you know, gel nails and stuff. And there were women who would come to me, but actually they're foreigners. There was a woman from Iran who came. So I haven't been to a Turkish salon in two years, but whenever I go, I feel like a princess. And actually you reminded me like, hey, there are like three salons right next door to me. I should probably start going again before they shut down possibly. But I love going for like a full facial. And there's there's also a place around the corner for me. It's owned by a Turkish American woman. And you just get the whole experience there, like massages, pedicures, manicures, facials. She specializes in like skin. So I feel like a queen plus it's very, very cheap here. Yes. I was just going to say the price is so accessible, which is why Turkish women are in the salon all the time. It's like a weekly thing. Oh, I know people who go every day before work. To get their hair done. Yeah, blow out, nails done. And it's like, even my friend, uh, one of my best friends, she lives in Frankfurt. So whenever she comes, she always says, she's like, I should just come here once a month to get my hair done or nails done because there it's pretty expensive, I guess. And it's a great job. So yeah. Oh, Turkish woman. I'm always telling my husband, like, look at how they're you know walking around the streets as I'm in my do-rag at home, you know? <laughs> But you are beautiful and special and unique. And so I'm sure he sees that and understands that. Yes, he loves it. You brought up a friend of yours that's Afro-Turkish. So let's talk about this because there is a whole community of native Black people that are Turkish. And I feel like it's not something that I was even aware of. We were doing a tour of Topkaki Palace, like that big palace. And they were talking about all of the people that worked in the palace for the sultans. And they were like, and the Black eunuchs like guarded the palace. And I was like, whoa. You didn't know. There are Black people that go this far back into Turkish history. Oh, yeah. I'm not expecting you to be an expert on the Afro-Turkish population, but if you could just tell us what you know and have you like interacted with other Afro-Turks, like how do they kind of relate to being Turkish and then also Black? So I actually... I'll say discovered that we existed here, you know, long ago, maybe my first year here, I was living a little bit outside of the city center and we were at like a normal cafe. And I see this black man serving, like there was an older black gentleman and a younger boy. And I said, Oh, Hey, where are you guys from? You know, like I'm known for waving people down. I've chased people down the street whenever I used to see, you know, a person of color. So I was so excited back then. And I asked, like, where are you from? And he said, first he said, nay, which means like, what? He didn't speak English. So I'm thinking, oh, he spoke Turkish and I didn't know Turkish at the time. And he's like, oh, I'm from Turkey. And he said, my parents are from here. My grandparents are from here. And then I was like, what? 
And I started like, you know, YouTube, like Googling documentaries or whatever I could find. And there's actually a pretty good documentary on their community. I forgot the name, but they've been here for years and they really like, they have their, you know, Black heritage, but they're Turkish. They speak only Turkish. They have Turkish names. And there is a community right outside of Izmir. And every year they hold like, um, I guess, an Afro-Turkish fair and they history and their food. And a lot of Turkish people don't know. Like I will tell my Turkish friends and they're like, oh, we didn't know this. And it kind of makes me a little bit sad because it's like they've been here forever, you know, for years. And even their homeland people don't really know that they exist because a lot of them stick together in their own communities. I don't know why. You know, I don't know if it's because they feel safer. It's just their homes. Very interesting. I have to talk about my hair braiding, my hair removal experience, because one, you hooked me up. I was like, I need to get these braids taken out. First, you gave me some places in Istanbul. And I was like, I actually can't wait. I'm in Bodrum now. I need these braids out. Keep in mind, I've been swimming in the Aegean Sea. I was in Turkey for a long time. It was like a seven-week vacation. So it's like two months of the braids at this point. And I'm swimming every single day. And... It needs to go. It needs to go. <laughs> and I have had braids long enough in my adult life to know that the worst thing you can do, and Courtney, I'm sure you will agree with this as a woman who wears box braids, is if you are impatient as you're taking out your braids, the amount of damage you will do. You need to have time and patience. And the way that my schedule is set up, I was like, when am I going to have five hours? And also, like, I don't want to sit in like my father-in-law's house like taking out my braids. Like... <laughs> And he wouldn't mind. He wouldn't mind. But I just want to go someplace and have my braids removed. So I'm like, SOS, Courtney, I hit you up on WhatsApp. Help me out. Not only did you send me one place, you sent me like three different places, which clued me into the fact that Turkish women were capable of doing braids, which made me realize, okay, then they're capable of taking them out. Then I did some of my own research and I found a place in Bodrum. And let me tell you, I had one of the best salon experiences, braiding salon experiences of my life. We were talking about that Turkish hospitality, the tea. She literally sliced like a fresh peach for me, like had peach slices. We were talking via Google Translate. And you know, Turkish women are so sweet, so kind. They just want to know about you. Very welcoming. So welcoming. It was so funny. She was playing like a station of like <laughs> all like hip hop music videos, but like <laughs> it wasn't for me, you know, it's like they also, I feel like a lot of Turkish people like love hip hop culture. Don't you find that? Yes. Oh, especially now. Oh, maybe like seven years ago, I was like searching for a hip hop place or R&B place. I couldn't find it, but now it's all like, especially the younger generations, all they listen to. Oh yeah. Clothing brands that are just like streetwear. They're very into our culture, which is awesome. It's like so interesting, even in like when you look at the knockoffs at the Grand Bazaar, it's like all Palm Angels and Off-White is like so popular. I'm like, how many Off-White shirts are here? And people are listening to Pop Smoke. (laughs) But yeah, she was playing this hip hop station and she proceeded to very lovingly and proficiently unravel each of my box braids, detangle my hair section by section braid it back down like into two little like French twists. And she told me that she was self-taught from crocheting. Wow, yeah. Crocheting is a big part. A lot of Turkish women like crochet and knit. 
that she was really good at crocheting and how different is braiding really from crocheting, right? It's very similar. Yeah. Very similar. And she does, she like cornrows lace front wigs. She, I mean, she does. Really? Oh my gosh. Crochet braids, locks, like she does it all. And she insists had social media set up a ring light, a camera, a tripod. Wow. And that's how I found her from social media. I Googled and I like found her Twitter that linked to her Facebook, that linked to her Instagram. And then I DM'd her. And so I was like, I love the hustle. We love to see it. And you know what you're doing. Of course, especially in Bodrum. Yeah. She's probably like the only one around. Yeah. Or she's the only one that's figured out how to harness social media to promote her business, which, you know, that's the future. But I have to say, I was surprised to see so many Turkish women in braids. And this is an interesting question. Do you consider Turkish people white? Oh my gosh. I was just speaking about this with someone. I can't speak about this with my husband because he's like blonde hair, blue eyes. He's like, I'm not, you know? <laughs> but I think as a whole, no, I think Turkish people are so mixed. I don't think most of it comes from like Europe, you know? like Middle Asia, East Asia, mm-hmm. even African. I don't consider Turkish people white, but when I'm here, I do. You know what I mean? Yes, I understand what you mean. Maybe it's a strange thing, but I don't consider them white as a whole because when they go to America, like is your husband considered as a white man or is he considered Middle Eastern or... Right. It's a difficult question. It's a very complicated question because you're right. A lot of Turkish people are very fair blonde hair, blue eyes. And then if you think about even like what Caucasian means and like the Caucasus Mountains and like... Oh, yes. My husband's from Georgia, actually. So I, you might be the whitest person I know because you're true Caucasian, you know? Yes. It is complicated, but Umut is also often explaining to me how Turkish people get really discriminated against. Like... Oh, yes. In Europe. In Europe, especially like in Germany where lots of Turkish expats live. So... This idea that they are like white, I think for him is hard to understand because he's like, well, we're so discriminated against globally. It's an interesting conversation, but I, it's so funny. I put a poll on my Instagram story being like, how do you feel about non-Black women in braids? And I think before my last trip in Turkey, I think it bothered me. And I just had this like realization that like it actually doesn't bother me at all. Even if white American women are in braids, I've, got, I've come to this point where, and maybe this is controversial to say, where it truly doesn't matter to you. Yeah, it's a protective hairstyle. I mean, I think you should know where it comes from. You should know that this is not a hairstyle that whatever Kim Kardashian invented. And you should know that Black women are often discriminated against for wearing their hair this way. Exactly. But if you want to wear your hair that way and you have respect for the culture, then I've kind of come to this point where, especially seeing women in Turkey with braids, Like, I don't mind. Yeah. And I've even seen like very old photos. I don't know what year, but like, let's say a couple hundred years where Turkish women were wearing like braids. I was like, okay, so they've been rocking it for quite a few years. Um, My only problem with non-Black women wearing braids is go to someone who knows how to braid (laughs) and make sure it kind of suits your hair texture. Because especially here, I see some women and they... Actually, braids are very expensive here, which is interesting because going to a normal salon is very, you know, not expensive. So I tell them, please find someone who can braid. If you can find, you know, a black woman, it'd be good, but also just a Turkish person who is experienced because they make them pay all this money and they come out here looking crazy. So like problem, just 
Guruk means someone who can braid good. Yeah, it definitely has to fit for your hair type. Yes. Absolutely. Well, on the sort of like Black experience in Turkey, we talked about hair. What's it like buying makeup? Oh my gosh. So I'm actually going to the States next week, next Wednesday, I'll be there. My friend was like, so what are you going to get? Blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking like now it's easy for me to find makeup because I like know exactly where to go. They have your shades because you and I are very similar for people listening. Courtney and I are like a very similar shade. Like we are brown skinned girls. Like we can't get away with makeup. That's not for black women. (laughs) So where do you go to like find your shade? I go to Sephora. I was the only place I could, you know, go before was Mac. And then I discovered Fenty and they had Fenty here. It's very strange though. Like usually I'm like a 440 in summer. And that is usually one of the shades that they don't have. They have darker, they have lighter. So I'm thinking, are there this many of like, you know, my skin shade around? But just Sephora, but it's like a specific Sephora that caters to foreigners. Luckily, it's near my house. Ah, I see. Might not carry it. I mean, but it took me like six years to finally find makeup. And I made my husband go makeup shopping with me once because he didn't understand. I like came home crying, like, I can't find my shade. I can't find shoes here, by the way, because I'm a tall person. So I have a little bit bigger feet. So he came makeup shopping with me and he realized like, I would just walk into a store and say, do you have my shade? And they say, no, I would leave. Like that happened like six times. He was like, wow, you can't even find makeup here and you love makeup. So it was a difficult journey into finding, you know, my place to where to buy makeup, but I got it. (laughs) And now always telling others like, oh, go to the store, go here. They have our shade, you know, call them before, blah, blah, blah. But it was difficult. (laughs) I love it. Well, if anyone wants Courtney's help and they're going to Turkey, just DM me and I'll send you, I'll slide you her number. Yes, holla. You're like the unofficial ambassador. (laughs) Okay, Courtney, beauty products, Turkish beauty products, like things that you have discovered living there that like you want Americans or not even just Americans, people not living in Turkey to know about. I would say, ooh, the rose spray, like rose mist. Yes, rose water. Yeah, rose water or rose oil actually. Ooh. Olive oil soaps, like natural ingredients, you know? I make a lot of like turmeric masks. The turmeric here is great. I mean, they have a great spice market actually. So I think all of their natural, even like olive oil, I like to put some olive oil on my skin and they have the greatest olive oil here. So all of their very, very natural products are great. Yes. And if you want to buy spices in bulk or very high quality oils, there's actually a name for those stores that I learned on this trip. What's it called? It's like, there'll be these stores that just have like pure almond oil and pure argan oil. I think they're called Octars. That sounds familiar. Maybe it's an Octar. Actually, I just learned that like last year because I'd never really gone into one. I mean, I would go just grab some things and then I'm like, oh, this is a thing. It's not just in my neighborhood. Like these stores exist. The experience of a Black woman in Turkey, like what would you say for people that are like nervous about going or don't know if they should go? I know you shared that funny story with me about how they treat your husband versus you, but um, I'd love to hear you know, what you would say to people that are kind of on the fence about visiting. As a whole, Turkish people love Black people. And I tell especially the women, like if you're ever feeling down or just you know, not confident, come to Turkey for two weeks. You will come out really feeling like Beyonce. 
feeling. Like me and my friend were walking two days ago and she was in front of me. I was behind her and they're like, Shakira, Beyonce, like, (laughs) and, but you feel like, oh yeah, okay. I'm like the Dollar Tree version of Beyonce maybe, but like, (laughs) not the Dollar Tree version, but you know what? It's like being like exotic. I would imagine when I went to Finland as a black woman, especially outside of Helsinki, when I used to work at Nokia, people were like, heads would turn. You would walk into a bar and you would be like, am I Naomi Campbell? But it's like so different from what they see. So yeah, I agree with that. And also like, I walk into a space and this sounds like I have a big head, but if I walk into a space here and people don't like stare or something, I feel like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> In my neighborhood, of course they don't, but like, because I'm just so used to it. Everyone just takes a look, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. Like, oh, they hear. But it could feel threatening at times because we're not used to being stared at. I mean, if we're stared at, it's like because they're suspicious of us, you know. But here, Turkish people are very curious. It gets to me sometimes. I can't lie. It it bothers me because sometimes you just don't want people all up in your business. Um, But as a whole, I think you can come here and have a wonderful life and feel accepted. You won't feel like you're part of the inner Turkish circle but people will make you feel like you're welcome here. Yes. And it's also just like so much fun. Like I could spend all day shopping in the Chantiche or like all day just like eating. Like eating, the yeah. Food. <laughs> the food is just unreal. What's your favorite Turkish food? Oh, this is hard. I love, uh, do you know, Ichli Kifte? Oh, yes. So good. Yeah. I like the boiled version, but the fried version is really good too. I really like kunefe. I saw you loved kunefe. It is my favorite. You should explain what the kofte and kunefe is. Okay. So each the kofte, it's like, um, imagine like ground beef. There might be lamb there too, with tons of spices, even some like, you know, cardamom, garlic powder, maybe a little bit of cinnamon. And it's kind of wrapped around, I think it's, um, corn flour, like a corn flour batter, and it's fried or boiled. I don't know how the boiled one is made, but the fried one is made, you know, it's fried with a little bit of like chili sauce on top. It's really, really good. It's like a little handheld pocket of goodness. So good. And kunefe is delicious. It's like the best. I actually don't know what I call it. Baklava with cheese inside. It's not exactly that. Yes, but it's like warm. Yes, it's gooey. And it's so interesting because before kunefe, have I really had a dessert that's with melted cheese in it? No, but it works and it's phenomenal. Yes, it works. It's like this like shredded wheat that's like over white cheese that's like melted and warm and you like cut into it. Like syrup on top with syrup and like ground pistachio just like the way they use pistachio and turkish desserts is unreal like i want some now it's like 6 30 in the morning i really want some right now honestly get some kunefe for me because i would love to have it do you ever feel like you have to i felt like i was definitely eating a lot a lot a lot while i was there do you feel like you have to like watch what you eat or because you're there you don't go crazy because you're used to it i feel like now i'm pretty like i'm used to it but especially during the pandemic, like the first, I'd say like eight months, I was cooking a lot. And now I'm really over. I can't think of anything else to make. I was making like uh, manta, like dolma. I was making lots of things. So now I like to order. We're really into like trying new restaurants, but there's so many options. 
And they don't have a lot of healthy options like they do, at least on the West Coast. I'm sure in New York, they have a lot of healthy options. I kind of do feel like I have to watch, you know, what I order, not really what I cook. So I'm really looking forward to going home to where they have tons of like healthy options because Turks love to eat, but they're not super into like the health food, like vegan craze, you know, Mm -hmm. their food's quite heavy. Even their breakfast, it looks very light, but like you can't stop eating. So (laughs) I think that's... Oh my gosh. When you start, you can't stop. Exactly. Okay. When in your beautiful life living in Turkey, when do you feel most beautiful? To be honest, it sounds corny, but with my husband, I really feel like he sees me completely. And this is the first time I've felt that way, actually. And it's weird that I... I'm not saying in America, you can't find it, but I didn't feel that way growing up, you know? And I moved here to a place where I'm... I was the only one I thought for so long. And I found this, you know, man who's completely opposite from me. And he makes me just feel like the most beautiful person ever. It wasn't until I felt that way within myself first, which also sounds cheesy. And I think Turkey really made me have to like dig for my own unique, like self-confidence or something, you know, because I was someone who was the only one and felt kind of alone. Like, well, I'm the only black person on the street. I'm the only person with braids. I'm the only person that can't go into a store and like, you know, instantly find makeup. So I had to like build that within myself here. And I found my partner. I'm sure you feel that way with your husband too. (laughs) Yes, but it's very different, right? Because we live in New York City, like Harlem's a couple of subway stops away. Like I see blackness and black people all around. So I guess I see people that look like me on a day-to-day basis so often. So I think I see Black beauty as just part of my weekly existence. That is interesting how, you know, when you're in a place where you are such a small minority, I'm obviously a minority here, but you're an extreme minority. I could imagine how your husband, you know, helps to make you feel just more like at home, you know? Yeah, comfortable. He makes me feel comfortable and confident so that when I walk outside, I'm like, yeah, I got it. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for waking up so early and chatting with me about your experience in Turkey. It's honestly, you're living the dream. No problem. We're looking forward to seeing you here again sometime. Oh my gosh. Can't wait. Like manifest me living there, to be quite honest. Like I would love it. Start a business. You know, so many awesome Black women that are entrepreneurs in Turkey as well. Like I could start a whole beauty line there. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you should totally start a beauty line here. There's tons of us that would definitely buy it. (laughs) Yes. And how many Turkish women have curly hair? I know a lot of them blow dry it very straight. Tons. My sister-in-law, she has curly, curly hair, but she likes to get, uh, what is it, Brazilian? I feel like there's this beauty movement that like maybe a Black woman who lived through the natural hair movement could come and bring this to Turkey. Yes. (laughs) Around embracing your natural hair texture and really learning how to do your own hair and not, you know, go for the straight look all the time. So food for thought. Definitely come. We're waiting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Courtney. You're welcome. Okay, guys, I hope you loved hearing from Leslie and from Courtney. And as promised, I'm going to tell you about my Turkish hammam experience. So we went to Spa Soul at the Ritz-Carlton, which is not the most traditional place to do Turkish hammam. I am not going to lie. And I'm going to be transparent with you about why I selected Spa Soul. I was emailing places that would allow me to film and make video content 
to share on Instagram with you guys. So if you were following me over the summer, you saw my reels, you saw my little IGTV videos showing what it's like inside of a Turkish hammam. It wasn't my first time doing it. So I really wanted to do it to share it. So Spa Soul at the Ritz-Carlton, phenomenal experience. And I do think that as a traveler, it is cool when you can go to a place that is supportive of you capturing content. That's like how you make memories. And they do an amazing job. So Turkish hammam, traditionally, it was like how you got clean. You guys heard from Leslie talk a little bit about the revival of Turkish hammam. And Umu, you don't know because you weren't on the interview with Leslie, but she's like, we didn't grow up doing Turkish baths. It's like something that became popular with tourists. She's like, now I'll like do it. But like, it wasn't a thing for us. Well, when you think about Turkey, there's always two Turkeys, like a modern and more conservative. Hammam experience has always been part of a portion of Turkey, but probably in some circles in Turkey, people might look down on it. And then with this spas coming in, oh, we actually have something traditional that's a little bit better than spa experience. People are all going gaga about it right now. That's also just a whole interesting other topic about how sometimes it takes foreigners or people from outside of your culture to appreciate your own culture. But the whole focus of the Turkish hammam experience is cleaning your whole body from head to toe. It involves a ton of water. So you are getting basically bowlfuls of warm water poured on you in intervals. They rub your whole body down with a kese mitt, which is an exfoliating body mitt to get rid of all of your dead skin. Then they go in with this like very beautiful, again, natural soap. It's not the most hydrating soap, I will be honest. I was feeling a little scrubbed raw at the end, but you can choose to do like an oil moisturizing treatment after. They soap you down. They go back in with the mitt, make sure all of your dead skin is off. And then they just pour these like bowlfuls of like warm, relaxing water all over you. The most important part of this is you are lying on a marble slab. I was in my own little private room in this gorgeous like, Ottoman-inspired... What do you call those rooms where they do the Turkish bath treatment? I wouldn't know the exact English term for it, but hammam tradition, you have to go back to seven, 800 years to really understand of, uh, what it is because people didn't have bathrooms in their houses and you didn't get to shower every week. You get to go and have this situation maybe once a month. So that's really like, you know, the way you would wash a dirty car. Someone <laughs> washes you and like scrubs you really deep. It's like, you know, having a detail on a car, but it's on your skin and body, which is great. You feel like, wow, I lost so much of myself on that's like, you know, <laughs> treatment. But if you feel like, you know, it's like a snake, you're just like regenerating. That's kind of an appropriate analogy. You feel reborn. You feel so smooth and just clean. Like I just felt clean, clean, clean. So I have the Kese mitt, which I keep at home. I haven't been doing it as regularly as I should. Like I love the idea of a body exfoliation mitt, but you can like order one on Amazon to be quite honest if you want to do body exfoliation at home. But it's a great experience. I think it's something that you should do if you find yourself in Turkey. And the best part, again, I spoke about Turkish hospitality at the beginning. When you go to get a treatment, like people really cater to you. So after you do your hammam experience, they give you your Turkish towel and then they put out, I'm going to pronounce this wrong so you can help me, babe, gazo. It's not very traditional, but it's very traditional to Turkey. Gazoz is a Turkish soft drink, very traditional to Istanbul, very, very refreshing. And they served us gazoz after the treatment. 
which you can have gazoz or iron, but it's all about hydration. Yes. So they'll bring you like a drink afterwards. I got some dried fruits, some like dried apricots. Then the reason they don't allow us to film in traditional hammams is uh, hammam is a communal experience. The ladies basically make a date in old times, obviously, would go to hammam together with their children, with their friends, and they would have like a bad date. And now, obviously, uh, like a tourist foreigner coming in, well, I'm going to film like, hey, we are having a bad. It's not allowed. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of when we saw onsen in Japan? You know, and the idea of going to onsen in Japan and being like, I'm going to film the Japanese people would be like, you're, please you're out of your mind. You're out of, you're out of your mind. Exactly. But I wasn't filming in a pub, like in a come on with other people. It was like I had a private yeah, marble ba- ba- room. Basically, the Ritz-Carlton spa was great because they create a mini hammam only for one person. You close the door. It's almost like a treatment massage room, but it's a hammam. It's like all made of marble, heated and like you know, lots of steam and water. So it's like, you know, I sent few of my foreign friends to public hammams. If you're like Anthony Bourdain and you want to have the real experience, it's amazing. But, you know, uh, if you want to ease in softer on the edges, like some leading hotels, like, you know, Ritz-Carlton, they have amazing experiences. It's pricey, but considering it's in Turkey, it's not that pricey either. Yes. Well, I hope you guys loved this episode. If you want me to do more just like international content, I'm trying to think of all these places I've gone with incredible beauty culture, Japan, Bali. To be honest, even some places in Europe have fascinating beauty culture. Marrakesh comes to mind. I could have done a whole episode about that. So if you guys are liking the international content, please hit me up, DM me. You know, I love hearing from you. And thank you guys so, so much for listening and for your patience as I pulled this episode together. All right, I'll be back next week with a new episode. And I'd like to thank you for having me second time ever in your podcast to promote my country. I hope you guys enjoyed learning more about my homeland. And I hope you would Google and find out for yourself. You will not be disappointed. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.